Alhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah Wa ala alihi Wa sahbihi Wa man wala First of all I'd like to say that It gives me great pleasure to see you all All your beautiful faces here In this city Which is called Surrey I guess Right And it's especially pleasurable to see you all Inside you know so many of you Here inside this one of the many houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this cold Canadian night. Right? right now it's summer in Australia, so you have winter, we have summer. Uh, just a few corrections, I never studied at Karachi University. Uh, the Sheikh gave me an, another degree. <laughs> he promoted me, he gave me another degree for free. Uh, and I finished my master's maybe last year or the year before. Uh, that information needs to be updated, so Jazakumullah khair. Um, so in any case, let's start with an important question. What is so important about the Dajjal? What is so severe about the fitna of the Dajjal? And I'm leaving the question open for the floor. There's so many of you, but none of you are willing to answer the question. Come on guys, we're going to be sitting here for 10 minutes to answer the question. <laughs> Yes, the brother at the front is thinking about it. Yes, brother. Yes, something very striking about the fitna of the Dajjal is every single prophet, every single messenger has warned his people about the fitna of the Dajjal. Subhanallah. What a lesson. And is, uh, the reason why I'm asking this question is that many of you would perhaps have a small doubt lingering within your hearts, you know, asking... What is the purpose of such a topic? What is the benefit of such a topic ultimately? Why are we taking the time to discuss this when we have other problems within our various communities? What else? What else can we add to that? Yes? Uh, just, if I'm not mistaken, one of, uh, the greatest fitna that is going to uh, affect us. And so that helps us in reflecting. If we uh, struggle so much in the fitna that we face today, will we be ready to face the judge? That's a beautiful answer. The Prophet said, مَا بَيْنَ خَلْقِ آدَمْ إِلَىٰ قِيَامِ السَّاعَةِ خَلْقٌ أَكْبَرْ مِنَ الدَّجَّالِ The Prophet said, From the time of Adam to the onset of the hour, there is no fitna greater than the Dajjal. Okay, continue, he's saying, continue. So that is a very striking thing. We talk about all the calamities we face here and now in the life of this world, the problems we have with the media, the problems we have with the public, the things which are going on internationally in our own countries. All of these will pale in comparison to what will happen when the Dajjal shall be forced to emerge onto this world. What else? Is there anything else we can add on to that? Anything else we can add? I would also add, look, during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a personality by the name of Ibn Sayyad. And this person was someone who the Prophet ﷺ at that time suspected to be the Dajjal. He thought him to be Dajjal. 
So much so that the Prophet ﷺ was taking precautions by sneaking up on him, by spying upon him, and so forth. <coughs> now if the Prophet ﷺ is taking the time to do this, what does that tell you about the Prophet ﷺ's concern for his ummah? Right? We can also on, add on top of this the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was discussing signs pertaining to the onset of the hour. He sat in a gathering with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And he, after the Fajr prayer, went on top of the member. And he spoke to the companions radiallahu anhum about that which would occur in the future. The signs leading up to the hour, major and minor. And when the time of Dhuhr came, the Prophet ﷺ descended. He prayed Dhuhr with the people, and then directly after the Dhuhr prayer, he went up again on the mimbar, on the pulpit. And he spoke to them again about those things which would occur toward the final days. And when that, uh, the time for Asr prayer came, he similarly came down again, prayed Asr with the companions, anhum, and then what did he do? He went back up upon the mimbar and continued talking about those things which were to occur towards the end of days. And he talked about everything that would occur until the final day. And among these things which the Prophet ﷺ discussed with his companions on this remarkable day was the signs the, uh, which were linked immediately to the onset of the Dajjal, to the emergence of the Dajjal. How he would behave, what he would come with, what he would plague the people with, and so forth. So I want to begin our discussion by talking about how the Dajjal would emerge. And this, by the way, is an integral part of our Aqidah, integral part of our Iman, understanding Islam. We hear so many fascinating things about the Dajjal. To the extent it forces certain individuals who perhaps lack the insight others have, it forces them to you know, say this cannot be possible. How can this happen? My dear brothers, my dear sisters, when the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ claimed to have performed the Isra and Mi'raj, he claimed to go to the heavens, embark upon the heavens. He claimed to speak with Jibreel, you know, the rest of the prophets, etc., etc. <coughs> and when he came back down and spoke with the people of Makkah, they doubted him immediately. So much so that they made fun of him. And they even went to the extent that they went to, you know, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And said to him, you know, obviously there was no Facebook at that time, there was no internet at that time, Abu Bakr didn't know what was going on. He was just hearing about this information through the mushrikeen. And they said, your companion Muhammad, he claims to have gone upon the heavens, he claims to have spoken with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he claims to have met some of the prophets, etc., etc. Et and they asked him, you know, what do you think about this? Subhanallah, look at the reply of Abu Bakr. Look at the reply of Abu Bakr. Wallahi, by Allah, la'in qalahu laqad sadaq. If he said it, then he's telling the truth. Subhanallah. This is the type of belief. This is the type of iman every single Muslim should try and foster within their heart. Subhanallah. 
And likewise, when we hear about these things pertaining to the Dajjal, we shouldn't immediately run to the conclusion that this is somehow false. That this information has uh, somehow been transmitted wrongly. If our scholars tell us that this is authentic information, we, sh we should accept it. If there is a weakness, fine. But among those things which the Prophet ﷺ informed us is that there would be a series of wars taking place towards the end of days. And he told us that there would be wars in the Arabian Peninsula, Persia, Byzantium, and so forth. And finally, after Byzantium, the Dajjal will finally emerge, according to a hadith from Sahih Muslim. And specifically, Constantinople. Where is Constantinople? Anyone know? What's modern-day Constantinople? It's a tongue twister. Turkey, yes, but specifically where? Istanbul. Istanbul. What are you guys doing? You're filming this. You're bootlegging the lecture. <laughs> There's a camera there. It's all right. Yeah. So in any case, the circumstances in which the Dajjal shall emerge have actually been spelled out by the Prophet ﷺ. Basically, after a war, a truce shall emerge between Muslims and non-Muslims, specifically Christians. The Prophet ﷺ says, سَتُصَالِحُونَ الرُّومِ Sulhan Amin. You shall enter into a peace agreement with the Romans. And during this time, you know, a Christian shall come out. And obviously our religion denotes a great deal of respect towards people of other religions. But nonetheless, this is what the Prophet said. He has told us that a Christian will come out during this time. And he shall be carrying a cross. A cross. A crucifix. And he shall be saying, غلب الصليب The cross has won. The crucifix has won. So he's denoting the success of this truce to the cross itself. Right? And during this time, it will cause so much commotion that a Muslim, a believing man, out of emotion, out of the response, emotional response he feels from this you know, uh, religious, uh, uh, religious um, action of this Christian, he'll be forced to break the cross. He'll smash the cross. And because of this, the Romans at that time, the Romans of this period will betray the truce. So it's interesting that even during this time, during this period, an entire war will be justified because of one man. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> So another question needs to be asked, another interesting question, who are the Romans? The Prophet talks about the Romans. Who are the Romans? Al-Khurtubi, Imam Al-Khurtubi says that the Romans are the children of Ishaq Specifically, more importantly, the Prophet tells us in an authentic hadith in Sahih Muslim that the Romans possess certain qualities. They are the most patient of people in times of turmoil. Habibi, what are you looking for? Okay. And he told us that they're the quickest of people to recover from a calamity. What else? He told us that they're the best of the people to the poor. And that 
they're the most resistant of people to the injustice of, injustice of kings. Now, if you look at all of these things, this basically applies to the Europeans as well. Europeans are seen as inheritors of the Romans or even descendants of the Romans themselves. And some of these things which we've mentioned, you know, they can possibly, quite realistically, apply to modern-day Europeans. You know, if we look at in World War II, the Americans were very quick to recover from the calamities of World War II. If we look at Western countries, they're very developed in terms of social security and so forth. And there is no Western country that I know of which has a monarchy running, uh, with the exception of Britain. And we know, we all know what happened to their monarchy. So during this time, the Christians will come over to the camps of the Muslims, and they will order the Muslims to release those people whom they believe were from their side. And these people whom they're asking or requesting from the Muslims will be people who have actually embraced Islam and gone on to the other side. And the Muslims will refuse and they, say, they will say, no by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will never let you reach our brothers. And this is talking about the finer qualities of these people that shall exist toward the end of, end of days. And because of this disagreement, the fighting will intense, become more, more intense. The disagreement will become more intense. The Prophet ﷺ says that the two armies, the two groups, the two factions will fight. One third will flee, will run away. And the Prophet ﷺ tells us that their repentance will never be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One third will die, will perish. And they shall be the finest of martyrs according to the Prophet ﷺ. And one third will prevail and they shall conquer uh, what is, whatever is left and they shall succeed. And sometimes whenever the Prophet ﷺ discussed Constantinople, uh, certain authors, certain individuals, they tend to think that this referred to Muhammad al-Fatih. Muhammad al-Fatih, no doubt his victory was a sublime victory for the Muslims and it remains to uh, be an example of a great historical example but this is not necessarily what the Prophet ﷺ was discussing. And during this time when the Muslim forces are enjoying their victory they're going to be counting the spoils of war. So what's happened here? They're in a state of complacency. They're counting what's given, been given to them from the dunya, basically. It's nothing haram, but it's something in relation to complacency. They're not ready for the challenge. They're not being observant. And during this time, shaitan himself will emerge and he shall announce the Dajjal. He shall say to the people, he shall pronounce to the people that the Dajjal has emerged in a sham. And what's Asham, by the way? Anyone know? Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. And by the way, all of these lands were beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. They should be beloved to you as well. What did the Prophet ﷺ say about the importance of these lands? إِذَا فَسَدَ أَهْلُ الشَّامِ فَلَا خَيْرَ فِيكُمْ If there is no good left in these lands, from, of the people of these lands, then there is no good in you whatsoever. SubhanAllah. The condition of these lands reflects the condition of the rest of the Ummah. 
if they're in trouble, the rest of the Ummah is in trouble as well, as per the wording of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, the, you know, as we've seen here, Shaitan shall actually come out, announce to the world, announce to the Muslim forces that the Dajjal has emerged and he's in Sham, a Sham. Where in reality, of course we all know that Shaitan Iblis is a liar. In reality, the Dajjal shall emerge from Khurasan, according to a hadith in Sahih Muslim. Now, we should all also mention the fact that you know, during this time, the weapons by which uh, the Muslims shall gain the upper hand all, all, are also me mentioned. Uh, they shall not, during the, the decisive blows, the decisive uh, hour of victory, they shall not use actual weapons. Rather, they shall be saying, La ilaha illallah and Allahu Akbar and so forth. And as to why these were actually mentioned by the Prophet wasallam, because in reality, these two things, they're the actual sources of victory for the Ummah. Belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and extolling the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Having that internal belief in oneself that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is higher than everything. That you know, only our goals and aspirations can be carried out through the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So while a shaitan is pronouncing the emergence of a Dajjal in a sham, the Muslim forces will be quick to return to Asham in order to look at what's going on with their families, to check upon the condition of their families. And during this time, as we are told by the Prophet ﷺ, once they return, an amazing thing will happen. Another sign of the hour will occur. And what is that? The return of Isa ﷺ. And it's pertinent that we discuss this, seeing that it's you know, his quote-unquote birthday. So as we are told by the Prophet wasallam, Isa salam shall descend upon the white minaret of Damascus. And it's interesting to note that during the time of the Prophet wasallam, such a minaret did not exist whatsoever. Rather, what this minaret is believed to be is the central masjid which was built by the Umayyads during the year 761 after Hijrah. And what's so remarkable about this particular masjid, this particular minaret, is that it was actually built by the Christians. What a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing. It was built by the wealth of the Christians. If this indeed is the minaret in which Isa alayhi salam shall descend upon, then what a sign. What actually happened was, you know, a group of Christians actually burnt this down, the, the masjid down, and then they were forced to rebuild it with their own wealth by the Muslim ruling forces at that time. So when Isa alayhi salam descends, he shall descend wearing two garments. And the garments shall be colored with the safflower and saffron. And his hands shall be resting on the wings of two angels. And the description of this great messenger is even noted by the Prophet ﷺ. What did he look like? He has average height. His skin will be a reddish white. And he has a broad chest. What a, what a description. The Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ is able to describe Isa ﷺ wherein the Christians are not able to do so. 
Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah wa When will this be? This will be the Fajr, during the Fajr period. Why during this period? To symbolize a new beginning for the Ummah. A new start. And as the Iqama will be given in that particular masjid, the people shall recognize Isa salam. And the Imam of the masjid, which is presumed to be the Mahdi according to other narrations, the Imam will say to the, uh, to the Messiah, to uh, Al-Masih Isa alayhi salam, Ruh of Allah, go forward. Interestingly enough, Isa alayhi salam will refuse. He'll say, you should go forward, the Iqama has been given for you. Why does he refuse? In another narration, he gives the reason. He says, you are leaders of one another as an honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to this ummah. So, and this is an amazing thing. Isa alayhi salam shall come back upon the earth following the sharia of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In the life of this world, we, we face many condemnations. We face many embarrassments. But what an embarrassment it would be for the non-Muslims seeing Isa alayhi salam coming to this world as a follower of Islam. SubhanAllah. So we can also add, you know, it may be somewhat strange to a person, you know, Isa alayhi salam, he lived in the life of this world, he lived as a prophet. Why is he praying behind the Mahdi or the Imam? It should be pointed out that there was on one occasion a time when the Prophet ﷺ himself prayed behind Abu Bakr. And on another occasion, the Prophet ﷺ himself prayed behind Abdurrahman ibn Awf. You know, they couldn't find the Prophet ﷺ. And so Abdurrahman led the prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ joined at the very back. And when the Prophet ﷺ had completed his prayer, they noticed he, he, he had came late, he was praying at the back. The Sahaba, from their love of the Prophet ﷺ and their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they immediately became scared, terrified. We led the Prophet ﷺ in prayer. So instead, the Prophet ﷺ, recognizing this, tells the companions, no, no, you did the right thing. This was the right thing to do. And only on two occasions on the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ did he pray as a follower. It's interesting, it reminds me of another thing. You know, the great uh, scholar, uh, the great Mufti, Sheikh bin Baz, he once noted in one of his statements in his biographies, I believe, that he only missed Salatul Jama'ah, the prayer in congregation, four times in his life. It's an amazing thing. How many people, you know, it's quite natural for some of us to pray just by ourselves at home. But here the Sheikh is saying, you know, I've only prayed uh, without congregation. He's not saying I, I missed the prayer or anything. He's saying I, I, I prayed without congregation only four times in my life. What a lesson, you know. Look at yourself. Work on yourself. How, how can we improve ourselves? So when Isa alayhi salam returns to the face of this earth, to the life of this world, as we've mentioned, the Dajjal shall already be present. He'll already be there. And presumably the Mahdi, as we've 
kind of noted previously, he shall perhaps de be dealing with him to a certain level. And the Prophet wasallam, as he's told us, the Dajjal shall be on the, uh, in the world for a period of 40 days, 4-0. Four and these days, as the Prophet wasallam mentioned, will not be like other days. The first day will be like a year. The second day will be like a month. And the third day will be like a week. So something is different here. And the other days will of course be normal. So in reality, if we look at the situation, the Dajjal will be here in equivalent to our own time, understanding of time, at least one year and 74 days. So during this time, he shall test mankind. And it will, it's an understatement to say that he's going to test mankind. What's he going to test mankind with? This is the audience, audience participation part. Claim of being Allah. Claim of being Allah, subhanahu I wish I had some prizes, Akhi. <laughs> Claim of being Allah, subhanahu Yes, he shall come with prospicious arguments that he is Allah, subhanahu wa Meaning his arguments will be so convincing that the common man will be led to believe that you know, he is none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What else, guys? No, no, you're excluded. You came with me. You drove with me. <laughs> okay, khalas. Okay. Kill somebody and then bring him back to life. Yes. Right. He's going to be able to seemingly raise the dead. Have ability over inanimate objects, you know. Uh, and he shall also have a kind of partisanship with the devils. There's going to be a period where he's going to approach a Bedouin in the desert. And he'll say to him, if I bring back your mother and father, will you believe in me? He'll say, yes, of course. And two devils in the shape of his mother and father shall appear, you know, telling him, you know, come join the Dajjal. Now, obviously, they won't call him the Dajjal, but say, join him. Be part of him. And because of this, the common man, such as this Bedouin, will be forced to believe in him. And these are certain authorities which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has given the Dajjal. Hmm? As a, an ability from himself. The Dajjal shall be given a paradise and a fire. In reality, his paradise, his garden, will be the fire. Anyone who goes into it, in reality, is going into the fire. The fires of hell. And he shall possess a fire, and anyone who goes into this fire, he shall proceed into the paradise. And during this time in which he is forced to roam upon the earth, given leave to, granted leave to go upon the earth, he shall go you know, into many countries. The word Masih itself means to travel upon the earth. And this is a title which, of course, is shared by Isa salam and the Dajjal. And one of the interesting things about this word as well is that it can mean someone who is very pious and blessed and you know, of good conduct, salih, basically. And it can also mean the exact opposite. <laughs> the beauty of the Arabic language. Anyone know what Dajjal means? I just want to emphasize the beauty of the Arabic language. Okay. A lot of answers. Uh, I think some of them are correct. 
well, I think I heard shirk or something over there on that side. Shade. Okay. That's all right. It doesn't matter. There's no prizes, so it's fine. Um, so the Dajjal, it comes from the root word Dajjala. The Arabs, they used to use this word whenever they had a sick camel, a sick animal, and they needed to hide the illness of that animal so that they could sell it, that they could you know, rent it out or something like that, make use of it. So it immediately means or implies deception. And the word Dajjal itself, it is referred to as Sigat Mubalagha in Lughat al-Arabiya, in the Arabic language. Something which is done to such a great level, to such a supreme level that that's all he is. That's all you can call him, Dajjal. Right? He's such a deceiver that that is all he is. That's all you can refer to him. That's his very nature, that's his very core. So during this time, as we know from the Prophet wasallam, the Dajjal shall be forbidden to enter Makkah and Medina. Guarding these places shall be the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he shall be refused entry to these places. And it also should be worthy to mention that the Prophet wasallam explains that in times of fitna, the greater fitna, the best place to be during this time, during such occasions, is Bilad al-Sham, the lands of al-Sham. The lands which of course are being plagued in our own time in the present day. So as for Makkah and Medina, the angels shall have their swords raised on the outer limits of these locations, forbidding the Dajjal any kind of entry. And during the latter period of his life upon the earth, He's going to go to the mountain of Uhud. And he's going to observe the mosque of the Prophet And this is something, subhanAllah. It sends shivers down my spine. It sent shivers down my spine when I heard it for the very first time. The Dajjal shall say to his followers when he's camped outside of Medina, on the mountain of Uhud, on the salt marshes of Uhud. He shall camp there with his followers and he'll point to the mosque of the Prophet And he'll say to the people, do you see that white palace? SubhanAllah. The mosque of the Prophet was just a simple structure during his lifetime. It never looked like what it is today. Anyone who goes inside the Prophet masjid in Medina will be amazed by the structure. It's white. Not only that, it's furnished with the most ornate marble, you know, beautiful chandeliers, etc. It looks exactly like a palace. Similar to what the Dajjal himself is describing in the hadith of the Prophet <coughs> And during this final period in which the Dajjal shall be hanging around the outskirts of Medina, Medina shall be shaken. And this will cause every single hypocrite, every single non-Muslim to leave the city. Every single evildoer shall be forced to flee from the city. And during this time, the best of men shall exit from the city of Medina and he shall try and meet up with the Dajjal. And during the time of companions عنهم, they thought it would be none other than Umar And of course, this was not Umar this is a person 
who has yet to come. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives us similar steadfastness to this person. Ameen. Say Ameen. And while he is on his way to meet the Dajjal, he shall be asked, where are you going? One of the followers of the Dajjal shall approach him and say, where are you going? He'll say, I'm going to the one that's emerged, meaning none other than the Dajjal. And it shall be said to him, don't you believe in our Lord? And his response, there is nothing hidden about our Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, you know, he, he hides nothing. And this will be the nature of the Dajjal, he'll be hiding everything. Hmm? This will be the nature of the Dajjal, he'll be hiding everything. The nature of a good personality is that he's open. Look at the character of the Prophet His character was an open book to, to mankind. We know how he ate, how he slept. This is the exact opposite of the Dajjal. The exact opposite of the Prophet is someone who is deceiving the people constantly and totally. Now because of this supposed, this supposed insult to the Dajjal, he shall be taken to the Dajjal. And he shall actually enrage the Dajjal further. The followers shall place this man on the flat of the ground, on the earth itself. And they shall continue to beat his stomach. And the Dajjal shall come up to him personally and say to him, Do you not believe in me? And this man, whom the Prophet ﷺ has prophesied, shall say, You are Al-Masih al-Dajjal. You are the Dajjal. And because of this, a saw shall be brought for the Dajjal and the man shall be cut into two. And the Dajjal shall walk between the two pieces of this man and he'll order him to get up and stand straight. And by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such a thing will occur. And again, the Dajjal shall ask the man, do you believe in me? Do you believe I am your Lord? And this man will say, I believe even more now that you are the Dajjal. This is the type of faith we should try and foster, not only in ourselves, but in our children. You know, in Canada, in any Western nation, we are constantly taught, you know, that Islam is not the most practical way of life. You know, the Sharia laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're not the most sensible of things. A'udhu billah. We should try and foster this kind of faith in our hearts. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is best for us. He doesn't lie, He doesn't deceive. Everything which He is giving us is for the best. <clears throat> and so the Dajjal would grab this man and try to slaughter him once more. He'll try to slaughter him by his collarbone. And during this time, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall actually make him unable to do such a thing. And because of this, he'll throw this man into his fire. Remember we said that the Dajjal shall have a paradise and he shall have a fire. The Dajjal shall throw this man into his fire. And the people will think that he's actually entered the fires of hell. In reality, the Prophet ﷺ says, he will be the greatest of martyrs. He will be the greatest of martyrs. And the benefit which we can actually derive from this is the way that this man actually approaches the Dajjal is through what? 
is through knowledge. He understands the attributes of Ar-Rahman. He understands the attributes of his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's very uh, easily able to distinguish between the actions of Allah and the actions of this liar. And this is how we should try and study our religion. Try to understand the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the nature of his book, and the nature of his commandments. And so while he's still camped outside of Medina, the Dajjal shall be forced to turn to Asham. Forced to turn to Asham. Syria, greater Syria. And when he does so, you know, he'll, he'll be going upon this route. And while this is occurring, the Muslims on the other side, when, you know, a certain altercations are taking place between the disbelieving forces and the believing forces, Isa will once again make his reappearance to the Muslims at that time. A man shall be shown wearing his shield. You know, the lights will go out completely and a man shall suddenly appear wearing his shield on his shoulder. And the people will ask him, who are you? And what do you think he'll say? Inni Abadullah. I am the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The very first words he spoke when the people inquired about him in Surah Maryam. I am the slave of Allah. I am the Ruh. I am his messenger. I am his Ruh. I am his word. I am Isa ibn Maryam. And to the Muslims at that time, to those he shall actually be fighting with, accompanying at that time. He shall ask them to choose one thing. Either you can have a punishment from the heavens, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that can get rid of all of your enemies. Or you can have the earth, the entire earth, swallow up your enemy. Or you can have your own weapons strike them. What do you think they'll choose? They choose the third option. And that is our own weapons strike them. Why? Because this is our most pleasing to us. Because we, we feel that we can achieve something. And it gives us great pleasure that we can earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through our own actions. And this is, you know, this is by no means a lesson in violence. This is not what we're trying to teach. Rather, what we're trying to show is that a person he should feel happiness when he, whenever he's calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, calling to good, calling to guidance, etc, etc, etc. And on this day when Isa alayhi salam answers the prayer of these people through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power, they shall be forced to drop their weapons. And the fighting begins. And the final battle begins. And the Muslims will, of course, gain the upper hand and thereby allowing Isa alayhi salam to encounter, finally encounter the Dajjal at the gates of Lud, a place in Asham, specifically Palestine. And obviously there may not necessarily be a physical altercation, rather when the Dajjal sees Isa alayhi salam for the very first time, he shall melt away, as though salt melts into water. And he shall be finished off by Isa salam with a single spear so that he can show them the blood of the Dajjal to make them truly believe that he is gone, he is demise, he is no longer there. Now this is how, how much the people will be fearing the Dajjal during this period.
they're not even sure he's dead. You know? They're so scared of him, they're not even sure he's dead. You know, they, they can't risk it. So Isa السلام, has to prove to them that he's gone. He's finally gone. He's no longer there. So the end of the Dajjal comes at the hands of Isa السلام, after a period of one year and 74 days as is equivalent to our own time, understanding of time. And this is the one whom the, every single prophet, every single messenger mentioned to his people in order to warn them. This is the same one who shall have such an impact that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned as it as being the greatest thing between Adam ﷺ and the onset of the hour. And during this time, this person, the Dajjal, shall have passed away, shall have died. Now, I'd also like to talk about what will happen after that, but should we, should we wrap up for questions or do we want to talk about what happens after the Dajjal disappears? Are you guys interested or? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let's continue. No worries. So, uh, I, I've been told Canadians are very kind, so I'm not sure if you're just sitting there tolerating me, you know. <laughs> He's come from overseas, let's just sit. <laughs> so, that brother, that brother likes it, okay. <laughs> so after the success which is experienced by Isa in ridding the world of the Dajjal, the world with, will recognize the authority of Isa And this, by the way, is something which we agree with, you know, concerning what the, the Christians actually preach and believe. We actually believe, like them, that Isa shall herald an era of goodwill of good conduct, of peace, etc., etc. And likewise, you know, uh, I always recommend when someone approaches the Christians and gives da'wah to the Christian, try to approach them in a manner that you talk about your similarities rather than your differences first. Obviously, you should be talking about the dangers of shirk, the ills of shirk, etc., etc. But try to get into their hearts by talking about the similarities we have with them first. And this is, by the way, is the Quranic methodology of de dealing with the Christians. So Isa السلام, will be upon this earth for a period of four years. And these four years, in terms of their benefit, will be like 40 years. And during these four years, the Prophet وسلم, tells us that Isa السلام, shall actually make Hajj. Not only that, he'll also get married. So there's good news for the sisters on that side, I guess. What we should be doing is emphasizing things we already believe in, such as you know, the greatness of Isa the greatness of Christ. Right? So it always surprises Christians when you know, we tell them about, or at least some of us tell them about you know, things we believe about Christ. And among the things we believe about Isa is that he shall rule the world as a just ruler and a fair judge. Hmm? And you know, during these narrations in which the Prophet ﷺ discusses the leadership of Isa ﷺ, there is a certain hint here that the Mahdi will no longer be around. Perhaps you know, he, he may have died, may have perished. Allahu alam. Allah knows best as to what will happen to him. And during this time, as we know, Isa ﷺ shall eradicate the pigs, eradicate swine, why, if you wanted to ask why, what's the reason for this? He wants to emphasize his teachings. 
he wants to really emphasize what he actually practically taught to his followers. You know, the consumption of swine, the consumption of, of pig is from the Pauline doctrine, you know, something which Paul taught after Christ, <coughs> And during this time, he shall also break the cross, break the crucifix. How did the war start in the first place? <laughs> it's an amazing, you know, uh, comparison, amazing sort of irony taking place. Isa himself, Jesus himself, begins to break crosses. SubhanAllah. And during this time, Isa salam shall abolish the uh, jizya, the compulsory tax which non-Muslims are to pay uh, in, a non in a Muslim state similar to the zakah. You know, a Muslim pays zakah and a non-Muslim pays the jizya. According to scholars, what this actually means is the non-Muslim will be forced, or will be rather compelled, I should say, uh, to embrace Islam. There will be only one option during this time, embracing Islam. And as I've mentioned, during this time, when Isa salam does take up leadership, it will be a total era of peace. And this is consistent with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described in the Quran, referring to Isa salam. And he has made me blessed wherever I am. SubhanAllah. So what will life be like in the world in which Isa salam takes up leadership? You know, I remember, you know, uh, when, um, you know, Obama was becoming president, they were talking about, you know, the black messiah, he's, he's, etc., etc. Everyone was getting excited. But when, you know, he became president, you know, it was, it was just work as usual, you know, he's just another president. When Isa salam takes up leadership, the world will truly change. How will it change? A man will pass by a lion and the lion will do nothing. Physical changes to the world. A child will actually be able to play with a snake and not fear any harm. A lion and a wolf will graze together with sheep. That's how peaceful it will be. Hmm? Rain will increase to the extent there will be so much vegetation. And swords, and the swords people used to use to fight, to battle with, shall only used, be used as sickles, as farming, farming equipment. So there's not going to be any war, a true era of peace. And most importantly, you know, the favorite thing uh, the, of mine that I, I enjoyed hearing in relation to what the Prophet ﷺ told us about this era, is that he said, that a single sujood, a single prostration to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be more beloved to a believer than anything in this world. So there will be, everything will be uh, sustained for this era of peace, a true era of peace. Uh, in relation to, this, to these people who will be following Isa salam, the Prophet wasallam said two groups will be protected from the fire. And he said, those Muslims, those believers who conquer India and those who are with Isa salam. Relax guys, you know, this conquering India doesn't mean Pakistan or anything. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> what this most likely refers to is something that shall happen towards the end of days. The Muslims shall recover India or take over India and it shall perhaps, Allah knows best, be under Muslim rule. 
So just to you know, basically conclude on this point, is that you know, when we hear about these things, it obviously gives happiness to the believer, right? Gives happiness to the believers. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised, وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ The end is for the believers. You know, it's, it's, it is inspirational to hear these sorts of things. You know, Isa alayhi salam, an important symbol for Christianity, is, you know, he's joining the ranks of the Muslims as a follower, you know, and he's ruling them in an era of peace, in an era of tranquility. Hmm? But nonetheless, you know, Isa alayhi salam, imagine the situation, you know, he's, he's facing it in the afterlife. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him, you know, uh, did you ask them to worship you? He says, no, subhanak, ma yakunu li an aqula ma laysa li bihaq. How is it for me to say that which I have no right to say? In kuntu qultuhu, if I said it, faqad alimta, then you knew about it. And this is something, you know, obviously gives great, uh, you know, satisfaction to the believer when he hears this, these sorts of things. But rather, look, it should also increase a believer in terms of his piety, in terms of his uprightness. Why? Because not only is this day, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, not only is it for the Christians, it's for you as well. <coughs> During this time, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking about, you know, the affairs of the, the life of this world, He's going to be asking you as well. Lim, uh, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be testifying against your own uh, tongue, your limbs, your skin in some cases. Perhaps you're going to be talking to your, to your actually body, uh, bodily limbs, and they're going to be responding with you. What do I mean? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has informed us that during the judgment. Our own bodies shall testify against us. We'll say to them. And they'll say something which is re remarkable. Allah has commanded us to speak just as He has commanded everything, everything on this day to speak. So rather, you know, sometimes we should balance these things that we hear with reality as well. This judgment which is coming for the non-believers is coming for us as well. So in any case, um, would we like to conclude now or can we continue further? Huh? We can continue further? All right. I think two people said yes. Are they like the head of the masjid or something like that? <laughs> yes or no, guys? Come on. Yes? yes? Come on, we want to sound serious. Yes or no? Yes. Good, okay. So Isa alayhi salam returns, we've talked about that. The death of the Dajjal, we've talked about that. Now we want to talk about the aftermath of the Dajjal's death. The Dajjal, the coming of the Dajjal is such a torment for this Ummah, such a trial for this Ummah, that even that which directly comes after the Dajjal is also a trial. Right? This era of peace will come after these trials, these calamities, etc., etc., but only after the calamities are over, right? And this is a lesson for us to lead by, you know, live by in our, in our daily lives. We may face many difficulties, we may face many problems, 
But at the end of the day, you must realize that these problems will eventually end. Perhaps it, it will eventually end through something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you with. Perhaps it will end with you know, a beautiful death which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you insha'Allah. And this is something we should, we, we should also always contemplate on. These problems which we experience, they're not just there for the sake of it. The Prophet said, إِذَا حَبَّ اللَّهُ أَحَدًا If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves anyone, He gives him calamities. You know, I remember saying this to one of the uh, younger children. He says, you know, that's, that's a strange kind of love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبَلُوكُمْ This is the purpose of life. Allah created life, Allah created death, so that He can test us in such a way. SubhanAllah. This is the purpose of our creation. This is why we're created. This is why we're here. So in any case, what happens after the Dajjal? After the Dajjal has gone away, after the Dajjal is no longer there, after the calamity is no longer there, another danger is exposed for the remaining believers. And that is the danger of Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Allah will give them permission to reign their terror over the earth. And these were two tribes because of their mischief, because of the fact that there was such a menace, they were imprisoned by the great ruler Dhul Qadnain. Between two barriers. They were imprisoned between two barriers. And every night, every evening, one of them, one of the people of Ya'juj and Ma'juj digs a hole. And he says, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll continue to dig it. By the power of, this, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this hole, it reverts back to what it was the previous night. By the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was something which frightened the Prophet sallallahu himself. He, on one occasion, said, Wailun lil Arab. He says, Woe to the Arabs. Why? Because of, of a fitna, because of a calamity which has become near. <coughs> what was this calamity? The fact that the hole of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, which they dug up, became significantly larger. This was something which the Prophet ﷺ feared during his lifetime. Wailun lil Arab. He said, woe to the entire Arabs. And of course, the Arabs at that time, uh, he was referring to the Muslims, most of the Muslims at that time where they were the Arabs. And finally, as the Prophet ﷺ tells us, the reason why they will be able to emerge is that finally on one occasion, they will say, we'll come back tomorrow and keep digging it up, inshallah. Inshallah. They'll be naming the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah. And this is the importance of inshallah, by the way. It's not just something you say if you, you, know, you don't want to do something. Uh, you're going to work tomorrow? Inshallah. You're going to help me with something? Inshallah. inshallah. So understand the, the beauty of these words, the importance of these words. <coughs> so when Ya'juj and Ma'juj finally emerge, 
there's not going to be anything like it. Imagine it. Waves upon waves upon waves upon waves of people. Since the time of Dhul Qarnayn, and this is where belief in the Akhirah, belief in the Ghayb comes in. One of you may ask, why is it that we haven't found the barrier of Dhul Qarnayn? Why can't we find it? Why can't we see it? It is perhaps the case that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that we never find it. You know, for example, uh, when you know, we hear the stories of the wandering, wandering Jews, you know, the, they were tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Basically what happened is they wandered the desert for a period of 40 years. In reality what they were doing is wandering around in circles in the desert. They were thinking they were traveling, you know, traversing great distances in the desert, where in reality they were just walking in circles, traveling in circles. So it may be the case that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left the barrier of Ya'juj and Ma'juj out in the open for everyone to see, but by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're always ignoring it, we're always not seeing it. So in any case, generations upon generations of Ya'juj and Ma'juj will be compelled to, uh, to wander across the earth, destroying everything upon the planet. We talk, you know, the environmentalists, they talk about wastage, they talk about economic use of, you know, uh, trees, about plant life, water, etc. When Ya'juj and Ma'juj emerge, they'll destroy everything. They'll destroy the trees, the plants, the animals, they'll drink away all of the water. And because of this, you know, the Muslims will be forced to flee and hide upon mountains. Because of this. And this is how severe the fitna of Ya'juj and Ma'juj is. And imagine, imagine the situation here. Ya'juj and Ma'juj, you know, billions upon billions upon billions of people. Each single one of them hates Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're all enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a way, as a way of deluding them even further, they will actually shoot arrows into the sky to fight or rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at their foolishness. And as a way, as a method to misguide them even further, to cause them to go into the hellfire even further, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will actually let them think that they have killed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The arrows will return with red, the redness of blood. And they will proclaim, we have killed Allah. This is the foolishness of these people. And this is, you know, the evil of these people, basically. Now, it's interesting to also note that the fitna of Ya'juj and Ma'juj was so great that the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the prophets of Allah, had a conference about it. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. During the Mi'raj of the Prophet وسلم, according to a hadith in Sahih Tirmidhi, it's Sahih, it's authentic. Ibrahim السلام, Musa السلام, and Isa السلام, and our own Prophet وسلم, they got together and discussed Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Right? The Prophet وسلم, wanted to know more information about it. What did they do? They referred to the one who has the most knowledge about it, Isa السلام. He's the specialist on this issue. So while this is taking place, you know, while Ya'juj and Ma'juj are roaming across the earth, destroying everything in their path, 
the Muslims are seeking shelter. Isa salam is of course at this time making dua, making supplication on behalf of the Muslims. Hmm? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? Take my servants to At-Tur. And he says to him, these, these, these are, I, I have revealed to you, I'm sending forth servants, you cannot fight. And sending servants of mine, you have no ability to fight. So take refuge in the mountain. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying about Ya'juj and Ma'juj. You don't have the ability to fight them. Take refuge in the mountain. Take shelter in the mountain. And so as a means of answering the supplication of Isa salam, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? He sends forth the smallest of creatures. Or rather, he will send forth the smallest of creatures. And this in itself is a sign. You know, billions upon billions of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, and the way they are defeated is, is through worms, you know, the tiniest of creatures, most insignificant of creatures. What a lesson. We, we as human beings, in reality, we have no real power. What kind of power do we have if worms, if insects have such an ability? You know, similarly, this is how uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Fir'aun with locusts, with frogs, etc. To, to instill into the people, you know, that you, sh you should have no pride whatsoever. Allah has power over the smallest of the creatures. They can do things that you can't even do with your intelligence, with your strength, with your powers, etc., etc. So by morning time, all of Ya'juj and Ma'juj will be dead. They will be passed away. And imagine the stench upon the earth. Each one of them is decaying you know, upon the face of the earth. You know what a dead body smells like? You know, after it's been decaying for a day or two? Imagine billions upon billions of dead bodies upon the earth. SubhanAllah. It will be s such a situation that you know, a, a believer will have a tough time finding a spot to stand. You know, he won't be able to stand even... You know, he might be standing basically on a body. And in order to alleviate such a situation, such a problem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down birds with the necks of camels. And they shall carry and throw away these bodies into the sea. And perhaps the remainder shall be taken away by the remaining animals, if there's any animals remaining. And the rest will be eaten or taken away by the rain. Now, like the emergence of the Dajjal, the emergence of Ya'juj and Ma'juj actually serves a particular purpose. Anyone know what the purpose is? You know, there's so much fitna which is taking place. The fitna of the Dajjal basically is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to test the fitna, uh, test the, the faith of the believer. Right? When fitnas, when calamities occurred during the lifetime of the Prophet Allah explains to the Prophet that the reason why this occurred was to divide between the, the true believers and those who actually lacked in faith. So this is the similar case with the Dajjal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is discerning by way of the Dajjal who actually truly believes in, believes in him and his monotheism and who actually rejects it. But with Ya'juj and Ma'juj, we have a different benefit. A different benefit at hand altogether. Anyone want to take a stab? 
Let's see if I got some money. Five dollars? Five I don't have Australian dollars. No. We all have those. <laughs> all right. Twenty-five dollars? No takers? I'm sorry? I'm not going to help you with the answer, Yaki. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I'm just specifically talking about Yajuj and Majun. I'm sorry, the brother had his head. Sorry. Yes, Jazakallah Please give the brother this one. The brother. Okay, what's the answer? Oh, that was me. <laughs> the answer is look, as the brother. You're giving me money. <laughs> All right. The answer, as the brother you know, so beautifully answered for us, is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, you know, 999 from Banu Adam, from the children of Adam السلام, will be in the hellfire. Every 1,000 of this 900, you know, every 1,000, the 1,000th person shall be from the people of paradise, shall be from Jannah. Give the brother some money. Why does he want to take my money? <laughs> no worries. We'll talk after. <laughs> So one, the 1,000th person, as the Prophet ﷺ, shall be in paradise, shall be in Jannah. And the companions, they, they got word immediately, like, you know, 1,000? Yeah. And so the Prophet ﷺ says, relax, take it easy. 999 will be from Ya'juj and Ma'juj, and this 1,000th shall be from you. So what a benefit, what a beautiful benefit to Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Always remember, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees something, and we see that it's, you know, it has some kind of trouble in it, it has some kind of difficulty in it, always remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed it for your benefit, for your good, even though it may not look like that. Hmm? For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden us wine. Why? So that, you know, there's no positive outcome from wine. What you, as Ibn Abbas radiallahu anh said, you know, it causes defecation, it causes urine, it causes, uh, you know, the, the uh, distinguishment of, of uh, the mental faculties, right? There's no worldly benefit in wine. Similar, similar as, as is the case with riba, interest. As for wine, you know, we're given something totally better than the wine of this world, and that is the wine of paradise. And this is something I hope to discuss in greater detail tomorrow, uh, insha'Allah, Friday, sorry, excuse me. Where, where is this? Richmond Masjid, okay, insha'Allah. That's just a trailer. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so we basically conclude insha'Allah. So we've discussed the fitna of the Dajjal, how he shall be forced 
uh, to roam upon the earth by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how he shall be compelled to roam upon the earth and how he shall cause all sorts of calamities upon the earth by the leave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how he has been given certain authorities such as uh, having a fire which is actually a garden and a garden which is actually a fire such as seemingly raising people from the dead uh, we, shall, we also talked about the various uh, altercations which will take place as the Prophet ﷺ prophesied, such as Constantinople, etc. We also talked about how the Dajjal shall actually be announced. We talked about how Isa ﷺ shall descend, the situation in which Isa ﷺ descended upon, shall descend upon the world, uh, and how she, he shall lead forth, usher forth an era of goodwill and tranquility. And we also talked about Ya'juj and Ma'juj, the, the calamities Ya'juj and Ma'juj will wreak forth upon the world and how they shall be taken away by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the wisdom behind them and the Dajjal. Uh, and this is basically where we want to conclude insha'Allah. Uh, basically, you know, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just to conclude, and this is my final note, insha'Allah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instructed us also, and this also emphasizes, by the way, the, the great you know, evil of the Dajjal, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went out of his way to actually discuss how we can actually protect ourselves from the Dajjal. What did he say? You know, his first piece of advice was, avoid him. <laughs> If you, if you live in an era where the Dajjal actually emerges, head for the hills, hide in the mountains. This is the advice of the Prophet ﷺ according to one narration. According to other narrations, you know, uh, we are told by the Prophet ﷺ that uh, one should uh, strive to constantly recite Surah Al-Kahf, uh, especially the first 10 verses obviously. Um, and you know, it is also recommended that one learn the uh, attributes and descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, learn who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, learn about His commandments, His teachings, His Prophet, etc. And you know, to constantly seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, make tawakkul, make reliance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala part, part of your character, part of your life. Uh, and this is where we'll conclude inshallah, and I'll open the floor for questions if anyone has questions. Yes, brother. The beast, okay. The beast, yeah. The, uh, the brother was asking, for those of you who couldn't hear, uh, he, he's basically saying uh, that you've talked about the Dajjal, you've talked about Isa alayhi salam, but what about the beast? What about the Adab? Uh, the beast is another major sign. There are 10 major signs in total. The beast is. Uh, someone who, a being who shall appear uh, at the very end and he shall brand every single non-believer right? in order to uh, prepare for the oncoming of the hour itself right? and so this is from the major signs yes anything else? yes brother can you please read that number part again what you said like thousand out of gold thousand yep. According to a hadith from Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Every 1,000, you know, 999 people will go into the hellfire, and the thousandth person, 1,000th uh, person from this 999, the one after the 999, he shall be one of the people of paradise." 
And so again, you know, the companions became disturbed by this information. We're doing all of these good deeds and you know, the ratio is so small for us to enter paradise. And he said, you know, rather, this refers to Ya'juj and Ma'juj. 999 refers to Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And that one, the 1,000th, it refers to you, meaning the Muslims, uh, meaning the followers of the Prophet Yes, brother, at the back. Uh, yes, uh, Yajuj and Majuj, uh, as we mentioned, uh, perhaps the reason why this brother is asking this question is because, you know, uh, Christians, um, for example, they similarly believe in the existence of Yajuj and Majuj, as we know, they say Gog and Magog. Um, they're somewhat confused about what Gog and Magog actually are. Um, for example, um, you know, they actually believe that in... in um, in uh, you know British mythology and Celtic, you know, not let's say British mythology it works better. Uh, they believe that Gog and Magog are actually giants, uh, and it's not based on anything except you know their own mythology, etc. Uh, they say that they're two giants and they're actually signs of good luck, which is not what we believe at all. Uh, so rather, just to reiterate, Ya'juj and Majuj are two tribes which existed, you know many years ago. Uh, we can't actually specifically spe specify when. Uh, there is a great deal of discourse as to who Dhul Qarnayn is. You know, some people are very uh, keen to point out that Dhul Qarnayn is Alexander the Great, uh, which is not, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like a very viable opinion. Uh, you know, you know, for example, you know, they point out the, that certain coins which uh, were minted in the era of Alexander the Great, it shows him having two horns, etc., etc. This is not the case. Um, rather, if we, you know, some people say it's Cyrus, uh, which was, you know, a, a pious Jewish ruler. Some people will say it's this, some people say it's that. Uh, you know, scholars have pointed out if we wanted to place uh, an actual personality on this um, person, Dulqadnain, if we wanted to, we're not saying this is correct. Uh, it may perhaps be a ruler that lived uh, during the time similar to uh, Ibrahim salam, or a time equivalent to the era of Ibrahim salam. Allah knows best. Yeah, sorry, uh, blind spots. <laughs> a lot of the hadith you mentioned about the last days, they mentioned the wars, they're using arrows and spears and things like that. Well, how do you reconcile that with terrorist technology? Does that mean that the world will revert back to using those kind of weapons, or is it more Look, since it's very specific to note that the Prophet, I'll just reiterate his question. The brother is asking, in many of the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, wherein the Prophet ﷺ is describing the end of days, he points out, the Prophet ﷺ points out that the believers will go marching out, for example, with their swords, etc. Uh, and he doesn't mention weapons, rather he mentions swords. Uh, we cannot say, you know, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has true and total knowledge as to what will occur in the future. Uh, it, to this day, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, something will happen. There's going to be, you know, certain writers, they jump to very uh, extreme conclusions by saying that there's going to be a nuclear holocaust in the future, there's going to be no guns, no weapons of that sort, and people will have to revert back to uh, swords. 
you know, this may be the case, this may not be the case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, it's also noteworthy to point out that, you know, even when there is an existence of guns, people still use swords, people still use daggers and knives, etc. So I hope that answers the question. Yes, brother. Right, right. I feel like we're doing our entire course here at the masjid. <laughs> That's okay. Um, brothers, who, uh, we're actually doing the entire uh, study of the Dajjal in one entire day. Uh, so brothers and sisters who are more interested in the topic, you're most welcome to attend, inshallah. But as for the brother's questions, he's basically asking about the chronology of events. Uh, basically, as is indicated by the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, first the Dajjal shall be present. Before that, you know, the, the last of the, mi the minor signs are obviously come before the major signs. And the last of the minor signs is Al-Mahdi, the appearance of the Mahdi. Uh, so he shall already be existent uh, or existing upon the earth before the appearance of the Dajjal. The Dajjal is the first of the mi uh, major signs. Right? So once he appears, Isa salam shall appear and then after that, after his death, directly after his death, Ya'juj and Ma'juj shall appear. So I hope that answers the question, clarifies the question. Yes, brother at the back. I didn't hear the last part of the question. Okay. Uh, the brother mentioned three things. He mentioned that he heard, and this is a key thing with, with what we will be doing with our course, inshallah. We'll be debunking a few things as well. He mentioned that there's three things that uh, are described in regards to the Dajjal. That he is one-eyed, that his name will be Muhammad, and that he shall, you know, uh, have a Jewish mother and father. Is that what the brother said? Uh, as we can say that one in three things of these, these things that the brother mentioned is correct. The Dajjal shall be one-eyed. Mamsuh al-Ain. One of his eyes shall be wiped out. And that shall be the right eye. And it's a metaphoric lesson as well, in the sense that the Dajjal shall be blocked uh, from seeing the correct path. He shall be so evil that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will block him from the straight path, just as he blocked Fir'aun from the straight path. You know, Fir'aun reached such a level in terms of his animosity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala added uh, his anger onto, uh, onto Fir'aun by blocking him from the path to paradise. So similar is the case with the Dajjal. So he's blind uh, literally and he's blind spiritually. Hmm? Uh, and according to one narration, narration as well from Sahih Muslim, uh, his left eye will be affected as well. Uh, he will be somewhat weak or somewhat blind in his left eye as well. So he's, in reality, he's completely blind. One eye is just better than the other. Um, and the brother also mentioned, uh, will his name be Muhammad? No, his name will not be Muhammad. I've never heard of any narration which makes such a claim or makes such uh, an observation. Will he have a Jewish mother and father? No, I'm not aware of saying anything like that. Rather, what the brother is probably uh, thinking is, or he's probably 
referencing is the story of Ibn Sayyad, whom the Prophet at one point at least suspected to be the Dajjal. And he was in fact a Jew uh, of Jewish you know, parentage you know, uh, who existed at the time of Prophet and lived in Medina. So I hope that clarifies things, Akhi. Yes. Yeah. Kafara. The brother is asking what will be written on his forehead. The, the lettering kafara, meaning you know kafir, basically shall be written on his forehead. Uh, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says yaqra'uhu kullu mu'minin katibin aw ghayri katibin. Every single believer shall be able to read it, whether or not, regardless of whether or not he is literate or illiterate. Right. And I remember someone asked me uh, on a previous occasion, you know, we know in our religion we have different categories of beliefs such as Iman, uh, such as Islam, Iman and Ihsan. Is the Prophet specifically referring to someone who has reached the state of Iman, who is a mu'min? Uh, he's, you know, so good in his faith that he, faith that he can be called a mu'min? No. Uh, according to another narration, the Prophet ﷺ points out that every single Muslim shall be saved from the fitna of the Dajjal. Yes, so, yes. Sorry brother. Uh, I, uh, sorry? Is the 